tonight's gospel is from uh, Matthew 25, uh, 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates his sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you drink? And when was it that we saw you as a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer him, Truly I tell you, just as you did this to one of the least of these of my, uh, these as members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left hand, you that are accused, accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not give me clothing sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The word of the Lord. So it was 13 years ago that House of Mercy first asked me to write a sermon. Um, I didn't need reading glasses back then. Um, but some things have stayed the same. So I, over the years, I consistently, um, as I begin to work on a sermon, hear the same voices in my head. I hear Mark telling me to find the cosmos in the chaos, and it's not about you. And then Kierkegaard. Um, may, I think mainly because I have all these books by Kier, Kierkegaard on my shelf, but I don't read them, so I think it's, it's a challenge. Um, and Debbie telling me that looking for God's love or mercy or hope something like that. It's like being lost in the woods and looking for this magical house and no matter how hard you look for it, um, you just can't find it. But then suddenly the house finds you. God is always seeking you out. And then I hear Russell telling me to preach until Tuesday, which is a total misquote, I think, from an early blog of his. But basically, a good sermon should have people thinking about it until Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, which really stresses me out at the beginning. And then I hear him say, just look at the cracks. God is in the cracks. 
And then all the while, I have Tom Waits singing in a dark and twisted gospel song in my ear. Literally every sermon, he comes to me and sings to me. And this time it was uh, down there by the train from his album, Orphans, Brawlers, Ballers, and Bastards. And it's a song about a train that's moving very slow where sinners can be washed in the blood of the lamb. And there's room for the forsaken. Everyone will be washed of all your sins and all your crimes. And I know that your name will be on that list. No eye for an eye, no tooth for a tooth. I saw Judas Iscariot carrying John Wilkes Booth. And then he goes on to describe all of these like gangsters, murderers, um, school shooters, um, even the soldier who pierced the heart of the Lord going down to the train. It's a pretty good song, and I think Tom knows what he's talking about. And then, inevitably, I always go down this rabbit hole of like research, partly out of procrastination, a lot of avoidance, and because I really enjoy it. And sometimes, just sometimes, it can be productive. Like, did you know <laughs> that you could survive for up to a month on nothing but camel's milk and dates? So the next time you're in the desert, retrieve that bit of knowledge. And did you know that you can be allergic to horse milk? Like, who in the world thought, oh, I think I'm going to milk my horse and then drink it? Like, who, who milks a horse? Well, actually, nomadic herders of Mongolia milk their horses. And they use it to make a fermented drink that is the staple of their diet, and it's very rich in protein, regulates blood pressure, and has anti-inflammatory effects. And cuttlefish, they have pupils in the shape of the letter W. It's weird. <laughs> and just this week, uh, having Thanksgiving at my sister's, we had just finished the meal, and my nieces were doing dishes. I was still getting over a respiratory infection, so I was kind of like on the outskirts of the table. And I just said, what's with goats? And by this time, my family kind of knows me. And so my sister kind of looked at me amused. And, and I said, really, like, what's up with goats? Why the rectangular pupils? And then my niece is like, well, I'm going to look it up. They have rectangular pupils because they're prey animals. Along with sheep, camels, horses, deer, and toads, horizontal pupils allow the animals to take in everything in their periphery. They can always keep their eye on the horizon. And did you know that some people think that the themes of the Gospel of Matthew is to depict Jesus as a great teacher? And in the Gospel of Matthew, Judas is the only person to refer to Jesus as rabbi or teacher, once at the Last Supper and then before he kissed Jesus in the garden. 
Did you know that the genealogy of Jesus found in Matthew are my favorite verses in the entire Bible? And did you know that the Sarakatsani, an ancient group of Greek herders, traveled with herds composed both of sheep and goats? They believe that sheep and goats, men and women, are related but opposite life forms. Sheep are God's animals intended by the men, while goats were animals of the devil and naturally tended by the women. One is docile and pure, while the other is sensual and unbridled. So speaking of sheep and goats, the text today has the king on his throne separating all the nations. The king will do so in the same manner as a shepherd divides his sheep and goats. Sheep to the right, goats to the left. And the direction that you're sent is determined on whether you fed the king, gave water to the king, were kind to the king, clothed the king, and visited the king. And if you did all of these, congratulations. You will receive your inheritance and the kingdom prepared for you. But if you did not do any of these things, you are cursed, forced to turn left, and you're welcomed into eternal fire. Both the sheep people and the goat people were confused because when did they ever have the opportunity to do such things? But the king was disguised or residing within the least of these. So is this the world Matthew creates in his gospel? A gospel where either you are in or you're out, blessed or cursed? Is this Jesus as teacher? And then, as a teacher myself, I say, he's so not Montessori. <laughs> so six years ago, I was hired to be a classroom assistant at Great River School here in St. Paul. And after my first year, the school sent me to the three-year teacher program, also in St. Paul. And up until that point, I really wasn't impressed by Montessori, because every Montessori I met up until that point, they were kind of like snobby. Um, and Montessori schools just, I always thought they were privatized, spendy, and elite. But then I learned that it didn't really start that way. Like, it didn't start that way. So in the early 1900s, Maria Montessori was the first woman to attend medical school. This was very uncommon, obviously, and her dad had to escort her to and from classes so that the male students would not cause her physical harm. And later, when she became pregnant out of wedlock, she refused to marry the father because that would end her medical career. And she still gave birth to the son, Mario, who then was adopted by a different family, but Maria stayed in contact with him and later the son worked alongside his mother until her death. And then I found out that she first developed her method of teaching, working with children with severe intellectual disabilities, who at that time were institutionalized in hospitals. And when that became such a success, then she developed the same methods with children living in impoverished conditions, impoverished conditions, and believing that everyone deserved a quality education 
and to be treated with respect and to be listened to. Royalty would even come and watch, quote, the miracle children at work. And every year, we start, we start the year by telling a series of five stories. And it's some of my favorite stories to tell the children. The first one is the coming of the universe, of how basically we're all stardust, that this big fiery ball of flame exploded and shafts of light were spread everywhere and within all of those drops of light were all of the galaxies, all of the goats, all of the sheep, all of us were in those little tiny shards of light. And one of the, the following lessons that we give is called the black strip. And Dr. Montessori developed this after um, she refused to pledge alliance or um, allegiance. Um, to Mussolini, um, which did not sit well, and so she had to flee to India. And so this was a lesson that she gave to um, the children of India at the complex that she was staying, and there was a black strip that was about the length of a football field. And all of that was the length that it took for God to create an environment in which we could survive. That involved um, all of the time from the Big Bang to cuttlefish swimming in the water for 500 million years to the first toad that lived on land, the growing of the ferns, reptiles, dinosaurs, the woolly mammoth. All of that had to take place in order for us to survive. All of that preparation was made. So that's the world that God created. And any other lesson that I give always goes back to those first five stories that I tell at the beginning of the year. That's like the key to the universe that we open for the children. And so I went back and I looked at the beginning of Matthew with the genealogy of Jesus. So there's a lot of begetting, 14 generations of begetting. But what makes this so amazing and so different and radical is that along with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, there's also Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. So Tamar was basically, well, first she was raped by her brother. Then she was married off to another Perez, who died, and then Zerah, who died. And she was pretty much cast aside and forgotten by Judah until she dressed herself up as a prostitute and carried her carried his son. And then later, 
there was Rahab, who was a prostitute. There was Ruth, a widow in a strange land. And then there was Jesse, the father of King David, David, the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. So another woman who was raped by a king. And then eventually we come to Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Who really, by any cultural standards, should have been stoned to death. But this is how Jesus has come to us, how he has come to seek us out. Here's the the cosmos and the chaos. Here's the, the mercy that Jesus came into the world through a long line of forsaken women, of sensual, rebellious, rebellious and sacred goat women. Jesus himself came into the world as a goat. Mm-hmm.